With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, Michael, Michael. Nothing beats a big blockbuster trade in the NBA. We've got exactly that to talk about. We don't do very many emergency podcast episodes on Open Floor, but I would say this one warrants it. Um, You know, in the case of uh, your Houston Rockets, an era over. In the case of the Brooklyn Nets, a new era uh, dawns. A new era is beginning with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and maybe Kyrie Irving, if anybody can find him. So uh, let's go ahead and, and look at this trade that happened today. Four teams. You've got Houston. You've got Brooklyn. You've got Indiana. You've got Cleveland. Uh, basically, Brooklyn sent every possible pick it could muster, a total of four first-round picks and four pick swaps, uh, plus Karis LeVert and other assorted pieces to Houston. Houston takes Karis LeVert and basically turns him around, sends him to Indiana. They grab Victor Oladipo, who you wrote about this week, I know, for Sports Illustrated, um, You know, one of the top 2021 free agents coming up. You've got Cleveland in the mix grabbing Jarrett Allen because... For whatever reason, Brooklyn never knew what they quite had with him. But I think the the biggest headline uh, by far, you know, uh, far and away, is the Brooklyn Nets reuniting Kevin Durant and James Harden, uh, teammates for three years in Oklahoma City. Um, you know, and and here they are together again in their primes, along with, in theory, Kyrie Irving in his prime. Maybe the best collection of three shot creators and shot makers on the same team in NBA history. And Michael, we're going to talk about the winners and losers of this deal. I got to tell you, though, bro, I'm, I'm feeling like a winner. I told you this was going to happen two months ago in November. You'll remember I blew your mind. I'm pretty sure it was one of the first cases of me breaking your brain on this episode. 
Do you remember this? Can I get a little bit of credit? I gave you a victory lap earlier this week, but I'm feeling great. I'm feeling like I got that third eye that can see the future, Michael. No, you're you're an oracle. I mean, it's 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 cemented. Um, there's really no disputing. I was shocked and in awe when you first threw out the Brooklyn Nets as a possibility for Harden. And I shouldn't have doubted you. I, you know, deep down, I did doubt you for some reason. <laughs> I was also very jealous that I did not come up with the idea first because it was so perfect. But, you know, I doubted you because I did not think that an organization would be ever be willing to give up the amount that the Brooklyn Nets did to get James Harden. And I also had faith for the record in Harden's ability to. Uh, stick it out in Houston. And, uh, you know, last night we saw, you know, throwing his teammates under the bus and probably the most unprofessional press conference I have seen in, I can't even compare it to anything. All-timer, just an all-timer. We're not good enough, you know? No, nine games into the season, we're not good enough. And by the way, I'm very out of shape, obviously, and taking positions off. Look, Michael, I think we should give Harden credit. At least he didn't break up with them by text message. You know what I mean? Like, at least he did it in front of a camera. So, uh, you know, real... Real classy professional behavior there. Before we get to the rocket side of this, though, I want to remind you, you know, part of my prediction, Michael, was that this was going to be good for you. Obviously, you're a Brooklyn resident. You know, this is right in your backyard. So I'm feeling like a winner today because, you know, hey, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. I finally got one right, Michael. But I want to know, do you feel like a winner either because you've got this influx of talent and a big time scoring uh, guard in, in James Harden in your backyard or just in general, because to me, this has kind of been a fledgling NBA season, right? I mean, a lot of postponed games, two more postponed uh, this afternoon as we're taping this, an awful lot of uh, positive tests, questions about can the season go forward. This trade feels like a real jolt of energy into the entire NBA ecosystem, right? So are you feeling like a winner as a Brooklyn resident and also as an NBA fan, or am I stretching here? No, I mean, you know, in normal times, this would be like a high holiday for me. You know, going to Barclays Center, getting to watch Harden and KD and Kyrie in person, it would be tremendous. But obviously, I don't think I'm going to get to see these guys in person this season. And the really, you know, uh, ironic thing about this partnership between these guys is we don't know if it's even going to last like for, you know, beyond this season, because these guys are so unpredictable. They are so moody. Um, They are mercurial figures, KD, Kyrie, who is just AWOL right now from the Brooklyn Nets and no one knows where he is. And we don't want to speculate, but he isn't with the team and won't be with the team for the rest of the week, reportedly. Totally. To Harden, who, as we just said, you know, uh, wished his way out of town and got his wish because he was at strip clubs in Atlanta and Las Vegas and all over the place. Um, well, here's the thing, Michael. The season Look, started. I'm not yeah. a soap opera guy at all. You know, I'm, you know, I'll watch documentary movies way before I'm going to watch a reality show or a soap opera, but I'll say this. I love the back- basketball complexities of putting these three players together. I'm going to love the mess too. It's going to be, there's going to be a mess. It's, you know, it goes against my inner, you know, serious nature, but there's just no way it can't be. These guys have already been super duper messy as you're describing here over the last month. And in some, frankly, in some indefensible ways in terms of going out to partying, not wearing masks, both Harden and Kyrie have been caught up allegedly in in videos of of doing that. So it's going to be just a monster story, a day in, day out type of story. 
even if you don't believe in the you know the ceiling of this particular big three, if you're questioning can they fit together, who sacrifices, are they consistent enough, will they all buy in, can Harden get into shape, can Kyrie be out there night to night, those are all completely fair questions. But these guys are now not quite like a Heatles level story for the NBA, but they're a big time story and we're going to have to be following their every single move. So if you're a winner and I'm a winner, and I think NBA fans in general are winners because the Houston thing was never going to work. I was completely out. As soon as Daryl left, I was like, there's no way they're going to be able to salvage that. Um, Harden made that pretty clear with some of the behavior that you were describing earlier. So if, if NBA fans in general are winners because that situation has kind of been resolved, you've got a potential new super team here to look at, um, which of these four teams actually in the trade, on the terms of the trade, and in, in, in terms of what did they actually give up and what did they actually get? Which of those four teams do you see as the biggest winner? Or maybe let's start with Brooklyn. Do you view them as winners or losers here? No, I, I wanted to just quickly jump in and say that, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers clearly won the day getting a young Jared Love Allen it. Love to just it. man the five spot. God, yeah, no, it's just, such a blog you know, boy just, take. <laughs> it is such a Brooklyn blog boy take, Michael. You get a superstar in your backyard and you lament the like, you know, kind of sort of starting center who got absolutely pushed around <laughs> by Jokic just last night. I mean, Jokic is just trucking him for layup after layup. But oh, yeah, God forbid you lose the 22 year old prospect. No, I got you. I got you. No, but we should, yeah, we should talk about Brooklyn for sure. I mean, I'm writing a piece right now for SI just about Harden's fit with the team. Um, you know, it's really interesting to try to compare, uh, you know, you brought up the Heatles. Uh, LeBron had another big three when he was with Kyrie and Kevin Love. But what's really fascinating about this trio to me is that there is no Kevin Love. There is no Chris Bosh. Um, there's no, like, for lack of a better phrase, sacrificial lamb, like a really talented player who just obviously is the, who, who has to accept a third wheel role, you know, the spot up corner three shooter, the pick and pop guy, the guy who has to really, you know, truck it on defense and make hustle plays, that sort of thing, and just embrace something that he's never experienced before. Naturally, that would be Kyrie Irving, but Kyrie Irving is like a, Six three point guard who is at his best with the ball in his hands. So, like, the fit here is just really, really fascinating to me. I still think that there is no offensive ceiling for this team. Like, at its best, if everything goes right, there's just no stopping these guys, right? Like, I mean, that pretty no, much mean, goes without saying. Brooklyn yeah, versus no. Washington Wizards, the next time they play, I mean, that's going to look like Team USA versus, you know, Algeria. Right. I mean, Angola, baby. Yeah, it's going to be bad. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Hey, on, on the Kyrie Irving point, though, I think in general, the Nets are winners, despite the insane price they paid. I think the craziest hang up to me is this idea that if the season did get shut down and you're basically making this trade knowing you've got two shots at a title with James Harden, if for some reason, in a worst case scenario, the season gets postponed or they just can't keep it together or whatever else, having one of those two shots hung up in a year that's complicated so directly by the coronavirus would have made me really, really nervous. And it would have made me drive a harder bargain in terms of the picks and the swaps and everything else. Like they gave up more than I expected um, for sure. And I would give credit to the the Rockets GM for making that happen. I mean, clearly he, he handled this negotiation pretty well. Um, but at the same time, I would still view them as winners because I thought it was worth it if you get a chance to put KD with uh, James Harden. And that's what I said two months ago. You'll remember the second step of my plan, Michael, 
was you bring James Harden in and then you trade Kyrie Irving whenever the first opportunity becomes available. And so I actually think of if the Nets are winners here, Kyrie Irving is actually individually a loser because not only is he going to have to give up some shots and touches, there's no way around it. He's going to have to do that. But he also gives up a lot of leverage. I mean, he's been doing whatever the heck he wants for the last two months, right? And on the court, he's been worth that because he's he's played really, really well um, when he's been out there. But he didn't go to media day. He issued his statement. I mean, he's just, you know, fl- you know, doing whatever. Kyrie was doing Kyrie. And I think his leverage within that organization has totally shifted. It's completely undercut. He is now the third best player for this group, period. Full stop. There's mm-hmm. no question. He, he's no longer... Uh, you know, a co-star with Kevin Durant or a co-head coach with Steve Nash or whatever he was trying to tell us, you're not getting any more post-up touches like you wanted on Instagram, Kyrie. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're you're 100% right. He's no longer indispensable, right? Because they have a better version of exactly what he could provide to that offense. And so I, you know, it's like, do I kind of agree with you that Kyrie is a, a bit of a loser here because he, like he's the one who has to make the sacrifices on offense. He's going to get fewer touches. He's going to get fewer shots. And I think like, you know, I can't really think of a player who makes a lot of sense in a trade um, where you trade Kyrie and you get someone back who's just a better fit, who you're not just like straight up losing the deal, but a more complimentary piece who's also uh, able to play at an all-star caliber level. I'm sure our listeners will have someone off the top of my head, or I might be just missing someone because I'm an idiot. No, don't right worry, now. Michael. That's <laughs> all we're going to be doing for the next three weeks is how do we trade Kyrie from Brooklyn. So we're going to have plenty of time yeah. to come up with those scenarios. Um, but let me ask you, is there a scenario where he could actually benefit in the offense? You're talking about writing about Brooklyn's you know, fit here. Mm-hmm. Defensively, there's going to be challenges, but I think Harden can play some post defense for you. Um, they're going to have to go small a lot more now that they only have you know DeAndre or uh, Jordan basically, unless they make a move to kind of you know fill that hole at the five spot. Um, on offense, though, could you see a situation where like you know Kyrie is obviously a very different player from Clay Thompson, but if he's on the court with both KD. And Harden, he's only ever going to see single coverage. If that ball swings around the perimeter to him on the weak side, he's going to be able to attack against a defense that has to collapse in ways that he's never been able to do before, even when he was playing with LeBron and Kevin Love, right? I mean, this could be the easiest points that he's ever been able to get in his life, right? Or am I overthinking it? No, I mean, just like, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets will play or embrace the same offensive style that the Houston Rockets did. Um, with Harden, where you know he's just basically isolating down to seven seconds on the shot clock and then attacking, and it's it it's really efficient. It's a really good offense. But like, imagine them doing that with Harden, and you have instead of PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon, you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that you need to help off of and rotate off of. And if you don't, it's just like. Harden runway to the basket every single time or step back three or whatever like that would still be the most efficient offense I think maybe of all time so like there's just a lot of different ways this team can play they've been playing really fast and I don't know if 
Harden is physically fit for that style of basketball right now, and we don't know if he'll get in shape by the time by time the games no. actually M- matter. Michael, I've actually sources are telling me he's riding a Peloton bike from Houston to Brooklyn <laughs> as we speak. He's drastically getting himself in shape as quickly as possible. Hey, I want to go back to an argument you made a couple months ago about why Houston shouldn't do this deal. Okay. I mean, basically, you were saying, look, you've got him for two years left on a Supermax plus a player option, right? So he has been taken care of with multiple extensions in Houston. It's still his team. He's still the face of the franchise. They went out and got him a Christian Wood. They were able to get something back for a Russell Westbrook. Like, there was enough there in Houston to try to make it work. And I think your argument was the Rockets had leverage over Harden, even though he was this amazing player because of the contract. And what I'm wondering now is, you know, I said NBA fans in general, you know, people who don't have uh, individual team rooting affiliations are winners here. But would you agree with me that the NBA itself, like as a body, uh, might be losers in this situation? Because now Harden becomes the second recent example after Anthony Davis of a player who had more than one year left on a max level contract, who was able to essentially force his way out through bad behavior, public trade requests, you know, letting his teammates down or whatever else. And he got exactly what he wanted. Right. And, and I think it turns out in hindsight, the Rockets did not have the leverage that we might have assumed that they would have had normally. And frankly, I'm not surprised by it because we've seen these superstars just push the envelope and push the envelope and push the envelope. But I think we're in a new era now where it's not even just like player empowerment. It's like, you know, players just do whatever the heck they want and get on board with it, you know? And no, yeah, I think this would have been, I think Harden would have been an even bigger story, like a much bigger story based on his behavior over the past. I mean, if you just look at his statistics over his last four or five games, it's like, come on, man. But like, I think that he would have been a much bigger story had we not been in this pandemic and games were getting postponed. Can I I interrupt you? Sorry for one second. If you, if you could put on 150 pounds and still average 24 and 11, would you do it? Would you be tempted to do it? Yeah. In two seconds. It looked like a pretty, I mean, like it was pretty (laughs) shameful how he was playing the first couple of weeks of the season. But at the same time, that looked like kind of a fun lifestyle. Yeah, no, (laughs) it's obviously a fun lifestyle. I mean, come on. But like going back to my initial argument um, a little while ago, a few months ago or whenever it was, when I thought that it made sense that, you know, Houston not trade him because I still think that they could be good. And if they just took it into the season and let him coalesce with Christian Wood and John Wall and the different pieces that they had, that they could still be a really good basketball team. And like, I mean, you know, in his first three games, he goes for 44, 34, 33. He's double-digit free throws. He's super efficient, um, double-digit assists. Like, he is the MVP candidate. He's incredible. And then, I mean, the guy just, like, stopped playing. And so the numbers were there. Here's my explanation for that. The first four games of this season were a message to Sean Marks. The last five games of the season were a message to Raphael Stone. Sean, I can still do it. Raphael, I still don't want to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And then I also just, I didn't anticipate him doing what he did at that presser last night, which, I mean, we could like devote a whole episode to that alone, which we won't, and we won't bore our listeners. But like the reaction today from 
or even last night from John Wall, the react reaction today from Boogie Cousins of just like pure disgust and venom aimed at Harden. Um, it's just like not what you want to see between two teammates in the NBA, um, especially when their their potential is so high together and they were playing so well for the first like two games of the season and they're so talented. Well, um, Michael, but, people know uh, me as yeah. a big fan of accountability and I am sure. not going to excuse what James Harden said. I, I mean, saying that we're not good enough, you know, after back-to-back losses against a team that's clearly just a lot better than basically everyone in the NBA right now. I mean, to me, the Lakers have lived up to all the preseason expectations about being in a tier of themselves. They're in a great groove. They've been real steady. Mm -hmm. They've raised their defensive intensity the last couple of games. Like, I didn't see a lot of shame in losing to the Lakers back-to-back like the Rockets did this week. I mean, getting down by 20 in the first quarter, that it's a little bit shameful. And some of the effort that we saw from even Harden is a little bit shameful. But like the results themselves, it's not the end of the world. It's not necessarily a reason to kind of quit. But to me, his heart was never going to be in it. Once he lost D'Antoni, Maury, and Westbrook beat him out the door, I never thought for a single second he was going to be able to refocus. And as one of Harden's biggest defenders for years and years and years, I say that that's a that's a personality flaw from him. You know, adversity has been tough for him to handle in the playoffs. There's been moments where it got tough and he, you know, basically broke, uh, you know, whether it's his uh, being locked in, you know, defensively, making good decisions, attacking the basket. I mean, those kinds of things were some of the warning signs. He would stop doing that when things got hard or, or he felt like his team was beaten. And I just expected the same thing to play out this year. And it happened right on time. What was it about what he said, though, that got you so upset? Because I know you've been a guy who said, hey, he's an MVP every year. He should be able to potentially carry the Rockets. I think you picked them the last six straight years to win the title. I mean, you're, you're a guy yeah. who's shown them a lot of deference. But it sounds like this was the straw that broke your back, Michael. Why? Because he publicly called out his teammates. Like, it was so unprofessional. Like, imagine, like... If you're unhappy with your situation, that's one thing. Um, a, a lot of players in the NBA, believe it or not, are unhappy with their minutes, their touches, their money, whatever. That's just the NBA. That's every every season in the NBA. You don't see guys publicly blame their unhappiness in their situation on the players. They're basically their coworkers. Um, and mass like Harden did. I thought that that was just like despicable. And if it was a leverage technique or whatever it was, it's disgusting. Like I don't, there's really no other word for it. And if I was Boogie, if I was John Wall, if I was David Maba, if I was Eric Gordon, if I was who PJ Tucker, guys who've like been in the trenches with Harden also, not even the new teammates, like what, like it's so offensive. I, I like, I, you know, I'm not going to like hold this as a grudge over Harden forever, but I do want to actually lead into a quick question that's semi-related to you, well, Ben. Before, before um, we grab that question, okay. I'm just going to read what Harden sure. said, read what Wall said, and then read what cousin said okay Harden goes we're just not good enough I love this city I literally have done everything that I can the situation is crazy it's something that I don't think can be fixed uh John Wall admitted that uh, their teammate uh relationship between the two of them was a little bit rocky to start he's like I can't lie about it and then Cousins doubled back the next day oh Wall also said basically hey look we have to have one to 15 alignment here Everybody's got to be on the same page and bought in. And when it, and he said it's tough when certain guys aren't bought in. 
Cousins went much harder on Wednesday, saying the disrespect started way before any interview. The approach to training camp showing up the way he did, the antics off the court, the disrespect started way before. This isn't something that all of a sudden happened last night. This is the nasty part of the business. It is what it is. And by the nasty part of the business, he was referring to the, the amount of power that franchise players can hold over their organizations. Again, I don't want to defend James Harden. He absolutely was throwing his teammates under the bus. But I think at least some portion of his commentary was directed at the organization itself, whether that's the front office or ownership without naming them. When he's saying the situation is crazy, I don't think that that's just, hey, John Wall and I both need the ball in our hands, right? Or like, hey, you know, Christian Wood's like pretty awesome stats, but he doesn't guard anybody. Like, I'm not sure that's what Harden was referring to there. I think he's talking more about just the amount of changes they went through these last six months and how quickly it happened. And I think he was kind of all in for almost his entire tenure there. He seemed to love being the guy. And once it went sideways, he just completely checked out. And I, I think th- that's what those comments that's were. That's awful. No, I understand. <laughs> no, I understand. I, I'm not trying to uh, forgive him for that necessarily. I'm just trying to put where those frustrations uh, come from. I don't think he's actually right. mad at John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, right? I think he's mad no, at no, the no, fact no. that the roster has kind of been constructed or changed in a way that he wasn't anticipating. And he's dealing with the first-time head coach and a first-time GM. And he's got no uh, you know, loyalty there or no built-up uh, relationships there because it all kind of changed. And, you know, look, it's, it's tough. I mean, should... Uh, a superstar level player in a healthy environment have say over things like coaching searches and front office searches and who gets paid if the coach gets a new contract and those kinds of things. I mean, they should probably have input, but not final say. I mean, you know, usually you want to have separation of powers within an organization, but clearly Harden felt deeply wronged by the the way the last few months played out. And that's where those comments were coming from. Now, does that mean Cousins will never forgive him? Yeah, probably. I would imagine Cousins is like, screw this guy forever. I will, you know, next time we play, it's going to be beef, right? I can absolutely see that happening. Um, but I do think that's a, that's important context, at least, you know, backstory to what Harden said yesterday. No, 100%. No, I get that. I just think that throwing your coach, throwing your teammates under the bus because you are unhappy because you are not getting your way is just not, that's just not okay behavior in my book. Well, Um, what if he had singled out the ownership or the front office? What if he had done that instead of making it a little bit more oblique or making it seem like we're not good enough, like it was a talent issue, right? Because it's not just a talent issue. No, I think that, yeah, I think that that would have been slightly different I also think that just the way he's played, um, beyond statistics, just his effort level on the court, and like I think the optics of Calvin Murphy, the uh, Houston Rockets legend um, who works on the television broadcast in Houston, was caught saying into a hot mic that uh, James Harden quit after <laughs> a recent loss to the Indiana Pacers. No, it's like it's that great. was. Have you noticed that uh, some of these broadcasters are going harder? You mentioned the Wizards broadcasters going <laughs> off about their lineup choices. They were, I mean, it has gotten a little bit pricklier on some of these broadcasts. I guess the patience level I, is uh, is lower during no, the pandemic. I, you know, 
I think it's I think it's just because like they don't have to interact with the players. They're not on the same flight. They're not flying to like road trips together or seeing each other in hotels and like the announcers are just like kinda hanging out. Some of them are broadcasting like from their living rooms. Um Yeah, you, so you get into that man cave. You get into that man cave and yeah. all of a sudden you're like, Yeah, Ish Smith can't check anybody. <laughs> it's just like okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I know how that goes. I guess that's the power of podcasting, too. We, we, we all fall victim to that yeah. sometimes. Anyway, like six minutes ago, you wanted to ask me a question. Yes. Let's ask it. Okay, so James Harden's legacy right now. Um, if he wins a title with Brooklyn this season after forcing his way to the Nets the way that he did and joining a team where he is no longer the best player on the team after you know uh, years of MVP candidacy, winning an MVP, uh, winning three scoring titles, uh, leading teams to the Western Conference Finals where they were competitive and could have gone to the finals and won the title in 2018. If he were to win as not the best player on his own team next to Kevin Durant, like how does that affect his legacy, do you think? Do you think that we will look at Harden in a similar vein to the way a lot of people looked at Kevin Durant when he left Oklahoma City to go to Golden State to get his championships, and he was not validated after winning two finals MVPs in the eyes of many. Uh, this is just my gut instinct, and but it was also my gut instinct back to November. I think this is going to be like the most hated team of modern era. Like I think everyone <laughs> is just going to despise these guys, not give them yeah. any level of credit. I think Harden's right in the middle of that. I think Kyrie's kind of been in the middle of that. I think KD has won some people back, and so it could be a situation where if they do win a title, KD gets credit for it, right? And then kind of everybody else doesn't, um, you know, from the casual fan. But I think these guys are now wearing the black hat in the league, you know? I think they're that Mm -hmm. team where they already don't have a very loud and vocal fan base, you know, because of decades of struggles as an organization and and the move and, and all those kinds of things, being little brother within the city, I think it's there's a lot of parallels right now between the Nets and the Clippers in terms of being overshadowed historically by the other team in your city. But now you've got these personalities where everybody has a feeling about Harden and uh, and Kyrie especially. There's nobody who's like, you know, meh, I'm not really, you know, Kyrie's fine. I, I'm cool with Kyrie. Or yeah, Harden, you know, he's, he's decent. Like nobody feels that way. They're both like among the most polarizing players in the league. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're teaming up, the fact that he forced his way out, the fact that he hasn't been in shape, the fact that you know nobody on that team besides KD really plays defense, the fact that Steve Nash uh, is a first-timer and people love to go after the first-time coaches, I just think all of it. I think all of it makes him really easy targets. Everyone's going to be rooting for them to flame out in the playoffs. I think if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you're off the hook. People aren't going to care nearly as much if you lose in the first round now. Everybody's going to be so excited rooting for Brooklyn to lose early. And, uh, you know, I think if the NBA does wind up in a situation where it's like Brooklyn versus the Lakers in the finals, I think there's going to be a lot of fan bases around the league who are like, you know what? This this bothers me, and and I'm sure it would get great ratings uh, because of the big markets and everything else. But I think you would have a, a large segment of smaller market fan bases that would say, "Look, this is what the NBA has become. You've got five or six all stars uh, accumulated on two uh, big market teams. They all forced their way there. They all left in free agency. They all bailed on, on their original organizations, and I don't really support this." So. 
for that reason, I think they're set up as great villains. And again, that's why I go back to it's kind of perfect, Michael. Like they're in your backyard. Ride this wave. It's going to be great for you. If the Nets play the Lakers, that's like that's basically just the player empowerment uh, Super Bowl. Right. Like that is the culmination of an entire era. And it would be really fascinating to watch. Well, Michael, here's what's going to happen. Eastern Conference Finals, Nets versus Celtics. You're going to be up there day one. Jason Tatum, um, it's Michael Pina, Sports Illustrated. Quick question for you. You would never leave the team that drafted you, would you? Under any circumstances. (laughs) I mean, you're a loyal guy. You really love uh, legal seafoods and um, you know, all the other lobster bisque places in, in Boston. Ben, how many times do I have to tell you that there is no legal seafoods in Massachusetts? It's it's getting to be, it's a cumbersome point here. But no, I would 100% be like, t- t- Jason, can you please put this in writing? Um, where if you were to leave Boston, there would be legal action taken out in, in your name and against your family. Well, that would be something that I totally would ask. What I'm saying, though, is they're going to get set up as like the Celtics are this homegrown team with nothing but Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. <laughs> they did it the right way. And here's the big market Nets who cut every corner to bring their superstars together. I'm not saying I feel this way, but that's how it's going to get pitched, right? If those And same thing, by the way, if it's Milwaukee versus uh, – Versus Brooklyn, and you've got Giannis, yeah. you know, re-signing the Supermax. Now he's dealing with going against two former MVPs and a perennial all-star in the playoffs. I mean, these stories kind of write themselves. So I, I think everybody's going to be rooting against these guys. That's my prediction. I'm Take it to the bank, Michael. I Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, can I give you a loser who yes. actually is it, it's not one of the four teams involved directly in this trade, which might be me tipping my hand a little bit. Joel Embiid. But <laughs> very close. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and Daryl Morey, I think, are losers here. Um, we don't know what exactly they had would have had to have given up. And uh, one would imagine, you know, the reports were that it was Ben Simmons, uh, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Matisse Thybul, and probably even more than that, maybe. Uh, like, I, I would imagine they were still asking for more unprotected first-round picks. Philly owns all of its unprotected first-round picks going forward, I believe, um, or most of them. So, like, I just, if you are Daryl Morey, how are you feeling right now? Do you feel good about... Uh, you know, Ben Simmons is really fascinating because in uh, there was a, a report earlier this morning uh, basically hinting that a, a deal was now definitely imminent. And it said about Ben Simmons, it was in The Athletic, and, it, and there was a line about Ben Simmons that says, Ben Simmons, uh, who has made a lot of recent developments on the defensive end. And that was basically the summation of who he was as a basketball player. There was nothing like Ben Simmons, who clearly, you know, his field goal percentage is at a career low right now, and he still is not shooting outside the paint, and he has made no evolution whatsoever with the ball in his hands. Um, like, do you, like, what do you think about the Sixers just not going all in here and watching the Brooklyn Nets do so? Ben Simmons, who has let down his family and all of his supporters, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> um, well, I think, I just think they got out bit. I don't think there's any way you get up to four first-round picks and four swaps without there really being a very interested second party, right? And like you can go to an auction house and bid an awful lot of money and put an awful lot of chips in and still come up second. And I think that's what happened with Philadelphia. 
um, because otherwise Brooklyn wouldn't have felt the need to throw in all those extra pieces, right? Now, in terms of Houston, I would still rather have the guy you're labeling a massive disappointment in Ben Simmons as my centerpiece guy than Oladipo. And my main argument there is Oladipo is an upcoming free agent. He has no ties to Houston. I think that there's some pretty obvious signs that Houston's in a weird spot, ownership, all that stuff. Um, Not necessarily sure he's going to be highly motivated to stay there. And I actually don't hate the fit between him and John Wall, but I would be, if I was Oladipo, I would be a little bit nervous about tying, you know, the rest of my prime to a guy who's coming off of an Achilles, even though he looks really good. And if I was Houston, I'd be nervous about tying up major money to two guys who have extended track record of of, uh, injury issues. So for those reasons, I think I would have tried to do what I could, or I would have put a a premium on trying to get a player like Ben Simmons back in that package. I think that would have been my, my major goal. And I think ultimately the Oladipo part of this from Houston's perspective winds up being a little bit face-saving because he's not locked in and because you're probably going to have to pay him a lot of money to keep him longer term. And it's, you know, easy. They're going to flip him. Yeah. No, I, th- I think th- I think they're going to flip him for sure. And, um, and but- if they do, they're not going to be getting, ton, you know, ton for him, I don't think. So th- that's why it kind of comes back to this idea, like, you know, for Philly, know what your max price that you're willing to pay is. And if it exceeds that, that's okay to say no. You're not in the, the worst possible situation right now. Embiid is playing great. You would have preferred to have Harden. I would have preferred they had Harden. You would have preferred they, they have Harden, but I don't think it's the end of the world. And the price got really high. And, and so, you know, you're only going to have two shots at it. So I think it's okay to, to have passed on this one. I wouldn't necessarily label the entire organization as losers, but for Embiid, mm-hmm. I might single him out here. It's not he didn't do anything wrong. He's playing great basketball right now. He's coming off a monster performance the other night. His life would be a lot better, and I think his next couple years of his prime would be a lot better if he was playing with Harden rather than Simmons. And all the future picks and whatever else, that doesn't really matter that much to a player like Embiid. So I think he actually winds up being a short-term loser because he's he's set up here with the same group that I just don't think is good enough to get over the hump. And they have to go uh, against now another you know, kind of like reinforced power with the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to have to go through that team if they want to reach the finals. So their life got, uh, their life got trickier. So I view Embiid as the loser. That's, that's fair. The way I see it is, you know, jumping off your last point that if you're Philly, you're looking at, you know, the Nets were already um, a powerhouse, I guess, offensively in particular with KD and Kyrie and a team that you really were going to have to like they were going to be difficult if you were in a playoff series against them, no doubt about it. And now I, I just, yeah, I, I can't really envision, honestly. Um, I, I guess I can envision Embiid like going absolutely ridiculous, but he would have to like just average 50 and 20 in a playoff series for them to, to win, honestly. And I, I, I like the way I just see it is like if you're Philly and your goal is to win the championship, which I think that that has to be the internal expectation for that organization, being that they made an investment in Maury, they made an investment in Doc Rivers, they made uh, several trades with the idea of of complementing Embiid in particular, but then whoever that second star is, be it Simmons, be it Harden, uh, like they want to win it all. And I know that they've had this really hot start, but 
I still don't think that they are better than the Nets, better than the Celtics, better than the Miami Heat. I might even say that they're not as good. Actually, I'm pretty confident in saying that they're not as good as the Indiana Pacers. I would pick the Pacers over them in a playoff series. So I I just think like they're losers here. I really do. And I think that they will come to regret this because this isn't a one season thing in all likelihood. Harden's going to be there next year as well. And Kevin Durant is going to be next year as well. We don't know about Kyrie, but Kevin Durant is going to be there next year as well. You're not going to get better with Simmons. Like he has just hasn't shown any development on the offensive end that you need. So I can't help but say that they are like a massive loser. Like I, this is not a day to celebrate if you're in Philadelphia. No, it's well argued. Um, one of the most amazing stats from the start of the season. So Embiid's played about as good as he can play, don't you think? I mean, oh yeah. maybe he's got yeah. some untapped potential, but he's been like an A-plus this season. And especially from a scoring perspective, he put up 40-plus the other night against Miami. He's just wreaking havoc. Do you know what their team offensive efficiency is after making all these moves geared at increasing the spacing and bringing in a Seth Curry and you know T- Tobias Harris getting off to a pretty good start and then the lineup, it all makes sense now. Have you checked what their team offensive efficiency is recently? I did right before we started this emergency pod because I'm a nerd and it's I mean I'll say like they don't have Seth Curry because of COVID but it's not good it's not good it's 18th and Houston with James Harden you know packing on a a weight vest and (laughs) you know carrying around (laughs) a, a backpack full of grievances on the court it was 16th you know, so it's like Harden's worst day is better than Embiid's best day. It's not Embiid's fault for that. It's just, you know, how Philadelphia has kind of been building things around him and the kind of compromises you need to make from a, a lineup standpoint when you're trying to build around a, a center who wants to score the basketball. It's just tough to do. And that that to me is just stunning. Like Embiid's been playing so well. I figured it would have been just top 10 and, you know, eventually over the course of a season, it levels off. And it's, you know, been significantly worse than that. And it took that big night against Miami to even get it up to 18th. I think it was 20th uh, over the weekend. Just kind of wild. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. 
Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Paid by up-level rewards. Paid participation required. Actor portrayal. Attention all listeners. Are you ready to earn $750? Well, get ready because I'm about to introduce you to GetMy750.com, the ultimate way to earn. Here's the scoop. Instead of just streaming shows or playing games on your phone for nothing, you have the chance to earn additional cash. That's right. From trying out new subscriptions to playing your favorite mobile games, you can get extra cash in your pocket. Simply sign up at GetMy750.com and follow the instructions to start earning immediately. So, what are you waiting for? Turn your favorite apps into real cash with GetMy750.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to earn rewards for things you're already doing on your phone. Check out GetMy750.com today. That's right. Get started right now at GetMy750.com. Just go to GetMy750.com or Google Get My 750 Cash. Follow the simple instructions and get your $750. That's GetMy750.com. GetMy750.com. Okay, we're beating around the bush enough, Michael. The Rockets are one of your favorite teams to talk about. Definitely your favorite team to hype up. You got so mad at me when I had them low on the entertainment value rankings. I told you they were going to be <laughs> a horrible watch. You were mad at me about that. You were mad when I said that they weren't going to make the playoffs. Mad, mad, mad. Are they winners here or are they losers? I view the Rockets, they had to pull the plug. That's, you know, I just felt that way for the last couple of months. They finally did. I thought they got a pretty good price. Big picture, the last six months were an utter disaster. On this particular chapter of it, I give them a thumbs up. But would you say winners or losers for the Houston Rockets? I, oh man, losing Harden, it's tough to say you're a winner. And being the embarrassment of the league for weeks, it's really hard to say <laughs> you're a winner. It's been really bad, right? I mean, yeah. If, um, if there was a normal season where like media was in the locker rooms and like going to these press conferences and everything else, I and fans had to go to the building, these guys would have been booed off the court five times by now, don't you think? A trade would have happened earlier, honestly. It would, like the shame factor would have been through the roof. Uh, but I'm I'm looking at the package that they got in return, and like I I, I honestly was like more excited if they got Karis Levert, and so like that trade right there just didn't make a ton of sense to me, honestly. If I am if I am Houston, obviously they were not huge fans. Raphael Stone in that front office is not huge fans of Karis Levert. Um, but I mean, obviously like the big, uh, takeaway here is four first round picks. Um, everything here is unprotected. They have four first round pick swaps in 2021, 23, 25, and 27. And the first round picks are from Brooklyn in 22, 24, and 26 plus a first from Milwaukee in 22, so if you're Houston and you gave up future firsts of your own because you foolishly traded for Russell Westbrook because James Harden told you to do so, this is really good. Like this is and and for all of the reasons that we think that Brooklyn's situation is tenuous because of the uh just uncertain behavioral quirks in their their new big 3, 
um, like these picks could be excellent. And we literally have a recent example of the Brooklyn Nets giving away their future and what that looks like in the Boston Celtics who have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So uh, like, I'm not saying that the Rockets are guaranteed that good fortune. You need to draft well, just because you have picks, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but that's really good. Like, the, like four pick swaps is really, really good. And I think that Brooklyn, you know, in 2023, they could be bad. In 2025, they could be the worst team in the NBA. Lord knows what they're going to be after that. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is – it's like – it's. I could see both sides here. Um, I, I think that – I think that you have to be happy about your present and your future, much happier than you would have otherwise been had you not made this trade. And it also frees you up to now see what you can get for Eric Gordon, see, you know, make PJ Tucker happy, ship him out of town, um, and really just go all the way to the bottom and make Sam Presti sweat now that he doesn't have the best trade package to offer the next time a superstar becomes available. I love that last point. I Look, I, I say win for Houston on this particular trade. I think big picture, the loser of the last 12 months in the NBA has been Tillman Fertitta. I mean, he inherited this incredible team. <laughs> they were rock solid. He basically didn't realize how important Chris Paul was, wasn't able to kind of make that work, winds up losing Chris Paul, winds up, you know, not paying Mike D'Antoni, winds up losing Daryl Morey, who was completely committed to that organization, built a consistent winner year after year after year. And then James Harden had him over the barrel. He winds up losing James Harden. It is stunning how fast and how far the Houston Rockets have gone. You can only blame one person, the person in charge. Ultimately, the responsibility uh, starts and stops with him. He's the biggest loser to me of the last 12 months, period, in the NBA. Now, from there, on this particular trade, I think that the front office, Raphael Stone, you you, you get a win here. Personally, I would have just kept Levert rather than Oladipo. Yeah. I would have rather had the three years of Levert on a reasonable number as opposed to either needing to pay Oladipo or watching him leave for nothing or trying to trade him and flip him. I think that they could become, you know, two thumbs up winners if the sell off takes place now. If they try to chase a playoff spot or the play in round with John Wall, Oladipo, Christian Wood, and that group, you know, and and they're all trying to rally around the idea of like, hey, we're out of the James Harden funk now. We can go do it. Let's try to get to 500. Like, if that's the goal, I'm not endorsing that whatsoever. And I worry they're going to want to save face after such a brutal year and try to do that. If that's what they do, then whatever. Good luck. Fantastic. Uh, irrelevant. Well, I will never watch your team. Can I jump in real quick and just say that when Leslie Alexander was the owner of the Houston Rockets, he famously did not allow Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkie, who was the assistant general manager under Daryl, to tank. And, you know, they ran a lot of numbers and had projections, and they were like, the easiest path to the NBA championship is to get a top whatever top five NBA player, multiple of them. And the way you do that is through the draft, but we're not allowed to take and get draft picks. And then he lucked out and got James Harden and the rest is history. But I mean, like, so I, I'm not saying that Tillman is anti tanking and anti going in the opposite direction, but I can 100,000% see that he will be very hard to convince um, a total teardown 
as long as he's paying John Wall what he's paying John Wall, you know, and paying Eric because I said Eric Gordon earlier. I don't know what Eric Gordon has not like made a three and. I don't even know, two and a half years or something like that. So I don't know what his trade value is on that contract, which is really long and about as much money as Karis LeVert, which is, yeah. Um, so like I, I can totally see them doing what you just described as a, a disgraceful endeavor. Um, so Well, good uh, luck. The, I mean, the, they're going to figure it out eventually. You know, truth has gradually hit the Fertitas here about how bad this thing has gone. And, you know... They're going to figure it out before too long that any goal of trying to to, to uh, win games here in the short term is uh, unlikely to pay off, and they're going to have to accept their lot in life, and hopefully they are strategic about it, and they go for a full-scale youth movement. You know, give Christian Wood as many touches as he can handle, give him lots and lots of developmental minutes, try to get additional draft assets like you're describing. That's a pretty good plan. It's a good time to do it, and this is an awesome draft class coming up, so... Don't waste your opportunity. That would be my message to the Houston Rockets. Um, you know, honestly, it's sad. I, you know, one one thought I had, you know, I'm glad they traded Harden. I think it's better for them and for Harden and for us that he's gone. Mm-hmm. But those teams were pretty good, Michael. I mean, 2017, 18, 19, mm. those Rockets teams, like, they weren't the prettiest. Uh, they didn't always have the greatest resolve. They whined at times you know they they complained to the nba league office about foul calls and unfair treatment there were some epic postseason matchups with the golden state warriors there was an awful lot of fun and innovative and creative uh, you know wrinkles to offensive basketball that we hadn't seen previously there was an awful lot of wins too and uh there's a lot of travis scott you know sitting courtside having a great time down there i loved going to houston covering that team I yeah I have videos on my cell phone on my iPhone like today of Travis Scott dancing at midcourt during the uh, the last time they played the Golden State Warriors in a playoff series which is a very I think you were there I think we saw each other there it was good times Um, and they obviously did not uh, prevail in that series but um, but no being in Houston was fun I can I tell you real quick my my favorite Houston memory yeah I was in the hallway, and here come Jay-Z and Beyonce walking down the hallway after a playoff game. So I very subtly raised my iPhone up, pretending that I'm reading it so that I can like film the hallway as they, <laughs> as they walk by. Everybody realized what I was doing, so Beyonce turned her head, covered her face so that I couldn't have a, a video of her, and then Jay-Z put his hand in front of my iPhone. I thought he was going to rip it out of my hand, but he didn't. He was very professional and polite about it, just making sure I couldn't get the shot, and then they continued down their walk. So that was my brush with fame in Houston. Probably Incredible. shouldn't be admitting that, but it was just one of those... It was a scene down there, right? I mean, you're talking about Calvin Murphy, Akeem Olajuwon. I mean, all sorts of different, uh, you know, luminaries uh, within the, the the Rockets franchise would be regulars at those games. Uh, and they were really good for a while, and they had a, a, a fun basketball community as well, and the, the fans were into it, three-pointers galore, everything you could possibly want. At Oracle Arena, I have my own Jay-Z, Beyonce story oh. real quick that I'll share. At Oracle Arena during the NBA Finals, I forget which year it was, uh, I was just kind of standing in the back. It was right before the game ended. I don't know why I was I was not in my seat. I just got down to the corridor early and I was just kind of standing in the corner and I was actually texting uh, my wife because it was her her, uh, bachelorette weekend 
And so I was just kind of checking in, seeing how things were going um, year before we got married. And someone bumped into me. And so I, I looked up to say, excuse me. And it was it was Beyonce. She turned the corner and she literally smacked into my body. And it was like a, a completely I immediately called called my wife. She was with all her friends. I was like, you're not going to be able to happen to me. Uh, Beyonce just knocked in, like bumped into me. And none of her friends believed me. And to this day, no one believes me when I say that. But I just wanted to get it on record on the pod because I know our listeners will understand what I'm saying and, and, and believe believe the words well, coming out of my you mouth. Well, you just completely trumped my Beyonce story. Now I'm going to have to talk about the time I saw the Pope at a, uh, <laughs> at a Hornets game. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that is pretty wild. Did you keep yourself together? Did you apologize? What did you do? I started, no, I snapped some pictures of her back and uh, everyone's like, no, that's not Beyonce. It's like, it, it was a thousand percent was Beyonce. I will go to my grave saying the story. Do you know what all the individual members of Destiny's Child look like? Because if that's Kelly Rowland, I mean, it's a cool story, but it's not nearly as cool. Doug, come on. Who are you talking to? Come on, man. Oh, yeah. Come on. My fault. My fault. Big Brooklyn hipster, former GQ writer. Of course you know who <laughs> Beyonce is. All right. Well, put me in the camp with your wife and her friends, Michael. I, I'm going to need to see those pictures to uh, to believe it. It must be tough to be as famous as them if all of our stories are like, hey, that one time I saw her from the distance and she like tried to run away as fast as possible so that we would all stop taking her picture. That is, uh, that's the definition of fame, Michael. All right, we've pretty much covered this trade, but let's get to the um, the sub headlines, as it were. Indiana Pacers. You know, I just said a little bit ago that I probably would have preferred to have Karis LeVert over Oladipo if I was Houston. I a thousand percent feel that way if I'm Indiana. You already had this sense that Oladipo was unhappy. You had a sense that he was going to want a big payday or potentially to play for a contender once he hit free agency. Um, you had rising stars during his absence, guys like Sabonis and Brogdon, really changing the course of that franchise when Oladipo sidelined. That's tough for a player to kind of wrap his mind around, but it's true. And you've also got an ownership group which has been a little bit of hesitant to uh, to spend big money and probably wasn't going to pay up to pay any price to keep Oladipo to get. Levert, who I think can be at least 80% of the player of Oladipo, as Oladipo for probably less than the price, or, or maybe you even just say, you know, flat out, he's better than Oladipo if you take into account health and durability and um, those kinds of things. Maybe I wouldn't go quite that far, but it's close for them to get him in on a locked contract to, to have him kind of step into that TJ Warren role. You know, he's been injured this season, and so now you've, you've kind of replaced that production and to just have a core group with Brogdon and Sabonis and Turner and uh, now Levert that you're kind of going to war with, they can still win a series this year, absolutely. And they don't have to worry about the locker room problems. They don't have to, you know, or, or questions. They don't have to worry about free agency and, and paying up to keep them. I think it's it's pretty clean from Indiana's perspective. I give them a win. Yeah, so I wrote about Victor Oladipo um, on Monday, and I spoke to Nate Bjorkren and and Chad Buchanan, the head coach and the general manager of the Indiana Pacers. And the piece was basically um, just about how Victor was on the right track back to the player that he used to be, the guy who was an all-NBA, two-way, dynamic combo guard in 2018. Um, And he was finally looking healthy. They were using him in really interesting ways in their offense. He fit really good with Malcolm Brogdon and Doma Sabonis. And, you know, in that piece, 
Um, there's a lot of positives said about him in Indiana, Victor in, in Indiana, but his free agency lords over everything. And so if you're Indiana, what you are now facing, if this guy is suddenly playing better basketball, is, look, are we going to have to offer this dude a five-year, $200 million contract um, or lose him for nothing? And that's those are the two options, and the third option obviously is, or we could trade him before the trade deadline and see what we can get for him. And so clearly, they were afraid. Either they didn't want to pay him, or they had an inkling that he was going to sign elsewhere. You know, there are really good teams this summer that would have a lot of cap space and a, and a real interest in Victor Oladipo, the Dallas Mavericks, the Miami Heat, the Toronto Raptors, a bunch of other teams. So their calculus was, we can cash out now and get something for him and what they might have gotten i don't necessarily think that uh karis lavert at his peak is better than victor oladipo at his peak i'm not going there just yet although this iteration of victor is not as good as what we've seen this season i think from karis it's pretty close though i mean i could hear arguments either way the more important factor of course is the age and the contract. And Karis Levert's contract, you know, if he's starting and he's comfortable in that system next to Malcolm and next to Domas, like that is one of the better non-max, non-rookie scale deals in the entire NBA. So the Pacers win big. And I have a I have a question for you real quick. Do you think that you know the Rockets obviously valued Victor Oladipo highly here for their own reasons? Do you think the Pacers, like if the Pacers called the Nets uh, last week and said, hey, uh, Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert, what do you think? Like, what is, (laughs) that's just, it's not happening, right? So I think there was also like a first round pick involved going out from Indiana and a second round pick coming back to Indiana. So that gets like a little bit confusing. But I think in general, um, LeVert was a better asset, a better trade asset, had more trade value than Oladipo did. And so I think that from a fit perspective, I don't think that Brooklyn really would have been interested in the Oladipo part of it. So no, I don't think Brooklyn would have said yes there. And so that's why Indiana winds up looking like winners. And it it could turn out, Houston could have traded away the two best players in this trade when it all shakes out. And if Oladipo leaves the next summer, then they will have done that, right? Because they won't have anything to show for it. So if they wind up trading away Harden and uh and Levert in this deal, then they're really banking on those picks. And look, those picks could pay off. There's real backfire potential. I think, you know, in the first couple of picks that Brooklyn uh, parted with, though, KD is going to be so good in the Eastern Conference, barring some crazy injury, that he's going to prevent those from being that great of picks. What you're really hoping is the chemistry experiment blows up. You know, all these guys hate each other. KD gets bored with the Brooklyn lifestyle or whatever else, and they all move on. That's kind of what you're banking on. So, you know, the second half of the the picks and the swaps could get pretty uh, juicy from Houston's perspective, but I think it's going to be a while. It's going to take an awful lot of patience for that for that to pay out. And I actually think that was Houston's major motivating factor in taking on Oladipo. They wanted to save face and say they got an All Star back for Harden, even if he's a injury plagued All Star who is an upcoming free agent who may not be there long term. Mm-hmm. It just helps them save a little face. That's not a good reason to trade for a guy, and they probably should have just kept Levert. Um, but good job for Indiana sneaking in on it. Um, sometimes the you know the small market teams can uh, you know get a little slice of the pie, and that's what happened here. Uh, to close this thing up, Michael, you joked about Jared Allen and the and the Cavaliers being like the centerpiece part of this deal, um, right at the top. 
I'm curious, was it a good deal for Cleveland to, to, to hop in here and get Jarrett Allen? They've already got Andre Drummond. Their defense somehow has been excellent this season. We'll see if that... That's uh, the best in the league. I know, out of absolutely nowhere. I mean, no one would have predicted that in a million years, especially if you watch the way their guards played defense last year or Andre Drummond's defensive impact at any point of his career. Um, but Allen aligns more carefully with their younger group's age, right? He's 22. You've got recent lottery picks with Garland and Sexton um, and Okoro. So that makes a little bit more sense, you know, from a, a long-term standpoint. They are going to have to pay Allen. He's an upcoming free agent. He did not sign a contract extension before the season with Brooklyn. I don't think he's going to get that expensive. Um, so from Cleveland's standpoint, winner, loser. Jared Allen's standpoint, winner, loser. What do you think about kind of the – for lack of a better phrase, the dregs of the trade. Yeah, I mean, I I tweeted this, but I feel a little bad for Jared Allen just because he's going from, I don't know, like I profiled Jared Allen for Slam Magazine two years ago. He just seemed like he loved Brooklyn and, you know, playing um, with stakes right now in the Nets. He's their starting center. He gets to play with Kevin Durant. Wait, is this just like anti-Ohio sentiment? Are you just basically being like, sorry, dude, your life sucks now? I mean, we did a whole episode a while ago <laughs> about which franchises we least. So you should not be talking right now. Oh, but, I'm not. I just, uh, did you see what happened, by the way, <laughs> during the national title game, Michael? I, I don't know if you caught the score there in the college football game. Sure was nice watching Bama roll over the Ohio State Buckeyes, a little revenge for all the beatdowns they they put I, on my Wolverines. <laughs> I'm glad that you got to get that in there. Um, but back to Jared Allen, uh, I just you know this is a really interesting situation in Cleveland. I'm not saying like I think that they've overperformed for sure this year defensively, and we should mention that they have the worst offense in the NBA also. So it's not all peaches and cream. Um, but uh, but yeah, like. I think Andre Drummond is like gone. I think that this this is a sign that they're ready to move on from him uh, after this season. So it, you know, his contract is huge. So I wouldn't anticipate a trade before the deadline. Um, but I don't think that they're going to be very interested in bringing him back and investing in Jared Allen, who is a very. I, I mean, I'm high on Jared. I like Jared Allen a lot um, as a player, particularly in a rebuilding situation. Maybe even more so than one where he's just asked to do so much as he was in Brooklyn. But I think like, you know, we're talking about Cleveland, you know, we hit a little bit on Brooklyn's defense um, in past episodes. It's a concern losing Jared Allen and then really not replacing him with anything. I know they have empty roster spots now, but DeAndre Jordan and Jeff Green are the front court. That's not like, you know, that's not going to win a championship. I'm sorry. It just isn't. Like, rebounding is going to be a nightmare for them. Um, so I think they'll just they'll miss Jared Allen. I know they had to, to to involve him in a trade like this because he's such an interesting and intriguing and young and cheap prospect, but it's it's a blow for Brooklyn. I just wanted to throw that in there. For sure. I hear you on that. Like, I've, I've kind of been all over the map on Jared Allen this season. I think there's times where he looks great. There's no question he's better than DeAndre Jordan. There's no question their rotation takes a big hit without him. But I also wasn't fully convinced he was going to be like this big-time playoff performer. Like I mentioned kind of earlier, I mean, he got pushed around by Jokic. I think that that can happen in certain matchups. I didn't think he's – I mean, he's a great – 
around the rim, but we talked about some of their rebounding struggles. He's implicated there too. And, and frankly, that could get worse without him as well. So I didn't feel like he was a necessarily a must keep piece for the Nets, but at the same time, they're going to be now paying their three stars more than the entire salary cap for this season. So like flexibility standpoint wise, in terms of filling out these roster holes, it's going to be very, very tricky. Katie's going to have to be calling up all of his buddies and seeing if anybody wants to play with them uh, in Brooklyn and, and, and try to, you know, piece together some of the holes that have been created here. Um, you know, from the Cavs standpoint, I say, why not do it? Um, I, I, don't, I would not view Andre Drummond as a long-term solution. So I think it makes a, you know, a certain degree of sense there. All right, Michael, last one here real quick. You've got one sentence to uh, say thumbs up or down winners or losers the uh, U.S. House of Representatives. Because <laughs> um, you can't believe winners. it, but in the in the grand scheme of things, the Harden trade was only the second biggest thing that happened in America on Wednesday. All right, Michael, we'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, email us your trade takes. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. We're on... Uh, Apple Podcasts, you can search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's going to be covering this trade inside and out for Sports Illustrated. So check him out on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver, on Twitter at Ben.Golver. Be sure to check out my initial column on the Washington Post website. I'm sure I'm going to have winners and losers up there as well. Support our work if you can, uh, if at all possible. Both of us really appreciate it. All right, Michael, until next week, we'll double back and pick up all the pieces of a crazy NBA season. I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that. Because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it. Here, in this place, this is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us, us. This is the place where we love us. Celebrate 30 years of loving us at Essence Festival. Get your tickets at EssenceFestival.com. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.